Hey guys, what's up? It is week 80. I got a full show for you. It's going to be pretty big. Uh, eight titles to review. I want to have a question of the week, some answers, and I want to talk about some other things. Right off the bat, I want to talk about the Patreon. Now, if you don't want to hear about the Patreon, just skip ahead. There's timestamps. So uh, I started a Patreon, um, and uh, I was basically just kind of a goal to help with updating cameras and buying the pick-a-movies and basically doing Patreon picks and you know picking up titles for the show. That's basically what it would do. It would be helping me out and that kind of stuff. And uh, there's perks to do it. Uh, you get rewards. You get to pick movies and stuff. The tiers, uh, it, uh, there's a link right below. The first tier is just you know you get early access to the show. These things are usually done and uploaded by Tuesday. You'd get access to the video by Tuesday on Patreon, so you could check it out. Also, you get a shout-out, one-time shout-out at the end of the video when you do it. And you get entered into the contest I do, any contest I host. Tier 2, I only made 10 spots for now. It's uh, I think the first tier is $2, this one's 6 and basically you get to pick a movie a month for me to review. So uh, if you pick uh, right at the 1st of December when your Patreon money goes through, you get to pick a movie... I'll message you and ask what movie you want me to cover. Um, if, if, if sometimes some things will, you know, apply, but most of the time I'll cover it if I haven't covered it in the show yet. So there's ten spots for that. Five are already filled up, so uh, make sure. I might expand it. I, I might end the pick a movie in general for the drawings and everything eventually down the line, and add like a couple more pick a movie of uh, uh, Patreon picks for that. Depends how popular the idea is. Depends how upset everyone will be if the pick a movie's gone. Yeah. <laughs> except for people that are, you know, in the Patreon. I don't know how I'm going to figure it out yet. I just want to make sure I have enough time to cover everybody's stuff. And then uh, the third, fourth, and fifth tiers are more one-time deals only. You can stay at those tiers if you'd like, um, but I don't really expect it. I kind of expect them to be specials. You pick it, and uh, you get it one-time deal only. You, uh, you can't multiply do it because I would never have time to do them. Uh, so tier three is like $15, and it would be some sort of a commentary. If you want me to do a commentary on a movie, maybe with a friend, we'll cover it, and maybe do a live video of it and invite you it could be private with just you and maybe somebody else you want to watch it whatever it could be uh you know non-live it could be for the public uh if you guys want we'll figure this commentary out maybe like a live video or whatever of a movie that you love or you want to hear me talk about even if i don't know anything about it i can do it um uh, I don't know how good it would be, but then a uh, tier four would be like kind of like a video essay or not necessarily a video essay, kind of a, a deep dive into a movie, like how I would do something, how me and Cage would talk about a movie. I would kind of go more focused in there. It would probably be like a written essay or a written uh, review or something that I wrote about it. And then I would read over it and do like a video essay with it and, and whatnot. That's 20 for a one-time deal. And then the last is basically the final tier is 30. You pick a show. You get five titles to review in the show. You can make it a theme. You can just pick a random ones, whatever you want to do. Uh, that would be a one-time deal as well. Um, and uh, there would still be like the obviously the VHS Voyage that comes at the end or something that comes or whatever I'm doing for that themed year would still be at the end of that. But most of it would be your focus on your five titles. So uh, it's open. It's running. Let me know. And uh, I've also realized that maybe somebody that's at tier two, I don't know if those tiers are going to go. So I'm not, you know, I, I don't know. There's 10 spots. Maybe, maybe we'll never get past the five. I don't know. But uh, if somebody's at tier two and they're like, you know what? I want to do a whole show, but I don't want to leave my, leave my tier two spot. Um, then you can just, you know, up your donation on that for that month and stay at that tier and just let me know, send me a message and we'll take care of it that way if you want to do that. But uh, now I'm going to hop into some corrections. Uh, Last week, for some reason on Dynastud, 
I kept calling uh, the bad guy uh, Freddie Highmore instead of Teddy Hightower, and I knew it was Teddy Hightower. I've never even seen a Freddie Highmore movie. I don't know why I did it, but it's rather silly on my part, and I wanted to apologize and make a correction on that. If you ever hear me do anything completely wrong, I will correct myself. Obviously, I'm not perfect, um, but there. Let's hop into the first movie, which is a wild one. It is the last movie from 1971, directed by Dennis Hopper. Uh, this is the second feature. This was after Easy Rider. This movie has a more interesting story about the movie than the movie. And the movie's interesting, too. It's just a wildly weird, interesting movie. And it has interesting, uh, you know, how it was made and what happened to it afterward. After Easy, the success of Easy Rider, Dennis Hopper said he could pretty much do anything he wanted. What he wanted to do was make this kind of strange uh, film about making films in, uh, in a western little place in Mexico Village. But that didn't really come to fruition. He wanted to have it star Ben Johnson, of all people, as this uh, guy who basically stays behind in this uh, rural Mexican village and gets the horses ready and whatnot. And then when Hollywood comes through to make another western, he's got everything prepared for him. But uh, Ben Johnson didn't work out. Mexico didn't work out. So they made this crazy movie uh, that's not told in order, starring Dennis Hopper as Kansas, uh, as the, the lead character, the stuntman, horse trainer. Uh, and it was filmed in Peru, which is crazy. This is one of the weirdest movies I've seen, and, and definitely a long time. Dennis Hopper is a wild man, and it's obvious here. He was one of those guys that wanted to defy the studio system. And this movie basically kind of pokes fun, maybe, at the Hollywood system. It's a movie about filmmaking. It's uh, about a stuntman, like I said, making a western in this, in this uh, Peru town. Peru village, isolated Peru village, and uh, it's not told in order. Like it's the end and the beginning and the middle. They're all mixed up, and it's meta. It's it's a weird movie. There's points in here, and I can't think of a movie that was this meta or meta even in 1971 before it. I mean, if this movie wouldn't have been so shelved and not seen because the studios hated it so much, it might have had a bigger impact on filmmaking in general. Um, and the meta aspects are strange. Like there'll be a missing reel, <laughs> which is kind of funny. You'll see reflections of the cameraman in the truck, and the movie's shot so well. The cinematography is so great that it's obviously not on a perp it's obviously not an accident it's done on purpose it's like it's such a beautiful well-made movie looking and acting and all those kind of technical aspects that it's clearly not done on purpose and towards the end of the movie which was be what the middle i don't know how how it's going here um which would be the technical lineal middle but the end of the movie um at a point dennis hopper breaks character or breaks the whole fourth wall and says my scars aren't even on right now because his character in the movie had been hurt and there's points when he starts singing hollywood it's just a super bizarre movie uh and there's lots of uh, you know themes in here like about failure there's a character uh, played by don gordon and he's one of hopper's friends and they talk about finding this gold and how they found it but nobody's gonna go through with it because it's too hard that they they found it they did that much although they're not going to be able to profit from it it's it's, it's kind of sad. Uh, and they say that uh, in the special features, Dennis Hopper was kind of struggling with, you know, being a womanizer in this and being an alcoholic and a drug addict. And that all kind of goes into that. And Dennis Hopper gribs, does a great, great performance in here. There's lots of, you know, different emotions. He's preventing fear and, you know, you know, anger, but also vulnerability. And he does a great performance. There's times in this movie where he's mistreating women horribly, like paying for prostitutes and slapping them. And then at times being mistreated by women and taken advantage of to get something for another woman. So it has all these like crazy things going on in the movie, uh, and it's also uh, the film make the film within the film has a bunch of cameos by these like actors, which is kind of mind blowing. Sam Fuller plays the director in the movie, which is weird. Um, 
And then we got people like Peter Fonda, Chris Christopherson, Dean Stockwell, all making small appearances in the movie. Uh, they're making a Billy the Kid movie, which is, is batshit. And it's funny that Chris Christopherson would do a Billy the Kid movie two years later with Sam Peckinpah, Pat Garrett, and Billy the Kid, where he'd play Billy the Kid, and then he's in this Billy the Kid, uh, this movie about making Billy the Kid. But I'm not sure if he's actually in the movie. He's just on the set of the movie, within the movie, just kind of singing songs and whatnot. So that's that's very bizarre. There's lots of strange things about this movie, and it, it's, it's kind of really cool to see it and it's funny that he wanted ben johnson for this role and i was just like i can't see it honestly i really can't because ben johnson was uh the same ben johnson that asked uh, peter bodanovich to tone down the language for the last picture show um and he turned in one of the best performances ever and he won an oscar for that movie but he asked him to tone down the language and sex and and i can't imagine i'm sure this scene would have been cut if ben johnson was in it where dennis hopper's laying there kind of hallucinating with a gunshot in his shoulder and uh some one some woman sprays uh, breast milk all over his face. I don't see Ben Johnson doing that. I think that he would have some objections to that. Um, there's some great features on here. There's a making of that has interviews with how the movie, uh, you know, was you know received by critics and what happened to it, and all a bunch of the cast and crew that are still alive and Dennis Hopper's friends insight on the movie. Very interesting. And then there's a 30 minute um, interview with Dennis Hopper talking about his career, how he was blacklisted uh, when he was an actor. That story is beautiful, and how that director called him back um, because they wanted to help him out because he married somebody that they liked, um, and the Duke. Uh, um, and uh, this director wanted to help him for True Grit, and which is really great. And he tells this wonderful story where the director hugs him after he actually does what he, he uh, asked him to do. And years previous, he refused to do it. And he says, he's like, and Dennis Hopper says, I'm a better actor now. And he says, no, kid, you're just smarter. You're smarter. And it's just a really great story. Uh, I also shows you some insight in how passionate Dennis Hopper was about filmmaking, how much he loved film and how he new film. He was kind of like a film snob. He knew lots of stuff and he loved film. And, uh, it's an interesting, uh, documentary on there. There's also, um, a documentary on here with interviews with the cast and crew from the Peru, uh, the Peru, I can't say Peru, Peruvian. There we go. That word's kind of a tongue twister for me. Cast and crew and they have stories and whatnot. And there's original trailers and there's a, a, a Dennis Hopper on uh, a television show talking about the movie. It's an interesting uh, piece of cinema for sure, which is, it's a cool unique movie, but uh, the story about it's even more intriguing to be honest. It, it looks great. It's a, it's a well shot movie. There's This thing was cut from 40 hours according to Dennis Hopper. There was 40 hours of footage cut down to an hour and 48 minutes. I can only imagine the stuff that's on the cutting room floor. Hallucinary stuff, crazy stories, uh, those those uh, actors all having their bit roles, having bigger roles in here, I bet. Uh, the crazy shootout in here. I can only imagine. And it was also very cool to see Thomas uh, Milani in here, who is in a bunch of spaghetti westerns playing a priest, which is kind of cool. So it was nice to see him in the movie as well and uh, given a different performance. I know he does different stuff, like in Don't Torture a Duckling, he plays a reporter, but usually he's the you know a gunslinger in spaghetti westerns. So it was cool to see him play a priest in kind of a strange role. But uh, there's this whole also this aspect of does Hollywood affect the the people that it shoots in these villages, and they start to adapt all these. Um, uh, filmmaking aspects and taking parts and doing things and they don't play like it's fake it's it's kind of a like i said there's so much stuff going on in this movie that one view doesn't really you know warrant any um real opinion except what just comes to my head there is a written review over at the screaming toilet page if you want to check it out it's kind of a confusing mess of a review similar to this movie but i i mean that as a compliment i don't mean it as an insult so go check it out if you'd like Spaces between spaces And lines between lines She stands in the doorway Beyond space and time His body should hit right about in here 
legitimate and different and better than it's ever been done. When I squeeze off a couple of shots at you, you take it, hit it, and hit it hard. I want balls when you die. All right, let's roll them. All right? Action. Hold it. And she picks the flowers out in the rain and and she says she loves me, and you know I can't complain. Four, six, Charlie, take three. White. Oh, no, 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 and uh, movies have bring here violence, and I don't like it. Okay, the next one here is from Etiquette Pictures, the uh, sidearm or brother-sister company with uh, Vinegar Syndrome. It is the American Dreamer, and I couldn't watch the last picture show, or <laughs> last picture, the last movie, without watching the American Dreamer. Uh, this is a weird movie, to be honest. This is a semi-documentary about um, Dennis Hopper during that time, the last movie, right after Easy Rider, and then he was done doing the editing on last movie during the filming of this movie. And to understand, this movie started out as a project of, let's film Dennis Hopper in a documentary state as if he were the character from Easy Rider. So what you get is, uh, and it, the, the filmmakers are kind of green, so you get this strange hybrid of documentary Dennis Hopper acting weird kind of egotistical ego trip thing going on how much is real how much is Dennis Hopper putting on how natural can Dennis Hopper act and is this actually Dennis Hopper or is this just a character from a movie or is it a hybrid of both I don't know Dennis Hopper is strange the things he says are one minute genius and one minute idiotic or just or out of this world weird and uh, there's a, a score throughout this whole movie as well, similar to the last movie, which I should have mentioned. There's lots of great music in that as well. Um, some sung, I believe, by Chris Christopherson. But um, yeah, in this, there's a great, great music in here that kind of patches the movie together. And the the, di the lyrics in here pretty much sum up a lot of the things, uh, lines that say he's a, a wise man and a child. And that's pretty much dead on. Dennis Hopper's an interesting guy, to be honest, and, you know, he struck me as, you know, he was so different when he was young, and, you know, his openly sexual liberation, stuff like that, but, uh, you know, big uh, proponent of marijuana, things like that, and uh, as he got older, he got more conservative, and he was still always an interesting guy and an interesting person. And uh, what he has to say in this stuff is sometimes uh, annoying because I think he's putting on this character like he's like, what a dick. But then other times you'll hear him say things and you're like, he's so dead on right. He's like, they can't give Orson Welles half a million dollars, all the wonderful movies he made, and they can't give him half a million dollars for a college, you know, 
screw everybody, screw it. And all the stuff he's saying about that kind of stuff is uh, interesting and true. And it's so weird. And especially when you watch the beginning of the movie, they tell you that was actually the ending and uh, he's washing his hair and the, everything's put on. It, you can tell it's not natural after you watch the special features and you realize there's like a documentary about this too, how they were making this and tell and how what it started as and uh, behind the scenes and interviews. And that helps understand what this movie actually is. There's lots of footage of Dennis Hopper, you know, talking to women, having sex with women. And, um, shooting guns. So if you've ever wanted to see a sexual side of Dennis Hopper, it's here. Um, I'm sure it's in other movies too, obviously, you know, Blue Velvet. Um, but it's just a, a wild ride that I think people should check out with the last movie. I um, think with that, you kind of understand Dennis Hopper a little bit better. But again, there's a, a thing about this that it's not really, I don't think, Dennis Hopper, especially when you see like the last movie interview um, years later. I mean, this is a different man at this point, but he's just so, so different in, in the way he talks. And he's not so, you know, not, I don't want to say condescending, but he's just so uh, un, almost unnatural. Like in the very beginning of the American Dreamer, he's like, they're like, now act natural. And he's like, okay, act natural. And he's winking at the camera. And he's just like, it's a put on in a lot of ways. And it's just, it's very bizarre and it's different and it's just weird. And it's just such a, a weird capsule of time. And I, I think people should check it out. Um, this was actually restored from like four negatives. So we're lucky to have the American Dreamer. We're lucky to have the last movie. And we're lucky to have Dennis Hopper. If this is going to be a documentary or a, uh, a lifestyle film or whatever you want to call it, I mean, if it's going to be that kind of thing, then it should expose. Um, at the same time, it's a destructive act. It's also a creative act for me because it's a creative act to say, hey, I'm not going to hide in the closet anymore. Oh, hello. There's a light on that. Easy ride. They think they got playgirls, play bunnies, something coming down. I, they're making this documentary called The American Dreamer, and I said, how can I be American Dreamer without broads? No, I, I'm, I, I love to look at beautiful women. I think that we're a society uh, from our movies and our films that have glorified the criminal, have glorified the outlaw. I don't need to have people make movies about me or like, you know, any of that. I mean, it's, it's all going to be up there eventually on the screen and they can see that movie. Here's to Mr. Hopper, who has traded in his chopper for a gamble in the American sun. Got some heads from Hollywood who think things might be pretty good if they can figure out what Denny's done. So won't you take my hand and tell me you'll be with me, dear, forever till we vanish past the edge of space and time? I don't know, but it's, uh, it's a long way home. Okay, guys, the next one is from 1983 from Mondo Macabro. It is The Inheritors. Um, I had not heard of this movie. This is a relatively uh, unknown German movie from, like I said, 83. And uh, I, I didn't really know what to expect. I went in blind, of course. And it's a coming-of-age movie about, you know, uh, a kid being turned into, like, a neo-Nazi group in Germany. 
Uh, this is a weird movie, and this is kind of hard to talk about. I noticed that a lot of people that were like writing about it, they were like, is this an exploitative movie, or is there a point? And what I saw to this movie is we have the lead character, Thomas, who's from this upper-middle-class lifestyle, and we have another character named Charlie, who's from a poor family. Both come from dysfunctional families. Thomas has an overbearing, kind of a verbally abusive mother, and Charlie has a drunkard father and a bunch of brothers, and they're just poor. And both these kids, uh, youth of Germany, from different classes, um, both get sucked into this neo-Nazi party. And uh, Thomas at the time is having like these sexual awakenings. He's basically, it's a coming of age movie. So he's mixing, you know, at the same time as, you know, discovering sex, he's discovering his, this political ideology. And at, at first he seems kind of like meek and quiet, but right when he gets in this neo-Nazi gang, he becomes more violent and more sexually aggressive and everything. He just, it's almost immediately a bad kid and a very dislikable person. And, it just kind of studies in this uh, what happens with these characters and how the neo-Nazi faction and how they build up in violence. And the movie's really good at setting this tension forth where at times you know something awful is going to happen. You just absolutely know it. And they'll build these times where they steal these guns and they're shooting them. And at one point he points the gun at his friend. And I was like, that's it. That's going to happen. And when that violence actually does happen in the movie, when the turn happens, when the there's no going back from here, uh, you, everything stops. And you're like, is that the end of it? Is that what's this movie is going to go is that it's like a movie about it's, it's poignant now because you know we have such a violent political climate um and we have like all these political extremists everywhere and it kind of just shows you know nowadays they get picked up on the internet they read things they get brainwashed on the internet and how these kids were you know they come to these college campuses and they pick these kids up and they start teaching them these things and sucking them in and bringing them in to you know basically be puppets for their movement and just and, and it's all sorts of, you know, how behind the scenes political stuff is happening. And even this anti-authority that this lead character has, even within the gang, he decides to, it's, it's not a necessary even believing in what they're doing. It's just a, a, a part of fitting in and acting out against something, but then becoming part of it. And there's no turning back from it. Um, it it's well made. It's well acted. There's some surprisingly full frontal male nudity in here, which I didn't see coming. It's, it's pretty sexual. There's some sex scenes in here. Um, and I don't really see it as like an exploitation movie. I, I mean, I see it having like, you know, moments, I wouldn't call them exploitative, like coming of age. If, if a coming of age movie has lots of sex in it, usually, you know, people discovering it, whatever. But uh, I do see it that it does have significance, especially nowadays. It's kind of interesting to see that, uh, you know, that whole political extremist, uh, you know, brainwashing thing going on because so many people, no matter what background they come from or who they are or who you thought they were, you know, can overnight just be somebody completely different. You say, or it feels like overnight, but it's 10 years later and then you're like oh, i didn't know they were crazy you know they're extremists one way or one other way and they're just talking all these violent things and you know you, you never know it's just interesting movie to look at for sure and uh, i had never heard of it so it was nice to discover thomas is a loner yearning to belong and what happens to him could happen to any kid today the trouble at home the disruption at school it's all part of growing up. Except he's fallen prey to a legacy of hatred passed on from one generation to the next. And its numbers are growing. belongs to something, the inheritance. The threat is real. It's happening today.
All right, guys. The next one here is from uh, Egfa. Egfa Films. This says, "Take it out and trade." Um, this is a strange movie, to be honest, and this is like a Ed Wood movie. And I'm going to be brutally honest with you. I'm not that familiar with Ed Wood as I'd like to be. I know who Ed Wood is. I know that he's this hero to underground filmmakers because he made these low budget movies and he had a very very crazy strange life. And you know, Tim Burton would make the movie Ed Wood later on, and that would be you know, cattle put him as like in front as this like you know underground hero. Now, this movie, Take It Out and Trade, is not like his 50s sci-fi movies. This is made in the early 70s, I think 1970. And this is a weird sexploitation movie, a very bizarre movie about uh, these rich parents hire this private eye to find their daughter where she is. She's become a prostitute. She's doing drugs. She's having sex. And she's in this, like, whorehouse, I guess is the term they'd say back then. What the movie follows is uh, the private eyes going around uh, on these people's money. He expects to build them at the end, going to all these exotic locations, which really aren't exotic locations. There's signs outside that say Paris, and they do a little joke there, a nice gag. And um, he basically is sleeping around, uh, being a voyeur, uh, peeking on people. He's an all-around piece of junk. But what makes his performance so funny is his facial expressions. He's just, he straight seems like a Benny Hill type. Like he's from these British comedies where Yakety Sax is playing all the time. And it's, it's almost as if he smelled a naked woman. His mustache would jump up in the air and he'd get pulled off the screen by it. That's just how this character seems. He's very sleazy, very trashy. But he is kind of funny, and I know it's outdated, especially in terms here, but um, there's a very funny moment when he's uh, being a voyeur pervert, um, and he's spying on someone, and they turn around, and it is a guy in drag, and the face he makes makes me laugh out loud, and it's a brilliant scene. I know it's outdated, I know it's tasteless, I know it's trashy, but we're talking about exploitation here. What do you want? So, uh, it's, it's it's very funny in that kind of way. It's it's very repetitive. We have this guy going here, sleeping with someone, be a naked woman. There's lots of sex scenes, there's lots of nudity. It's never boring. It's very stupid. It's very repetitive. It's not, you know, objectively a great movie or anything like that, but that's not what people are looking for. It's a lost Edwin movie that no one knew was around. Um, it's uh, also has Edward, uh, you know, who is a, a crossdresser in the movie in in drag, which is kind of fun to see. And his performance is one of the better ones in the movie. Um, it, it's not like I said, horrible. It's just a very repetitive movie that you know these movies aren't really expected to be like under a microscope. They're meant to be seen in a theater, you know, and, and just one time only. Um, probably. So it's it's fun watching it. You know, there's tons of nudity. It's an interesting uh, movie for sure. Uh, the Frank Heenan Lauder commentary is great. He's on there with uh, the Edward, uh, the guy who wrote the Edward book and the runner of the um, AFCA films, uh, AGFA films, sorry. Um, uh, Joe Ziemba. I'm, I'm terrible with the pronunciation of last names, but I, I really enjoyed that commentary. Uh, Heenan Lauder and uh, um, the two have a great time talking about the movie, and it, it's just really great. Uh, I could listen to Frank Heenan I always is it Heenanlotter or Henanlotter? I'm gonna say Henanlotter, but I can listen to that guy talk all day. I love his movies. I love his outlook on movies, and it's just a treat to hear these guys talk. Great commentary, very funny as well. There's also a, a bonus feature on here called uh, Love Feast, uh, which has Edward in it, and he uh, is trying to have an orgy and keeps getting interrupted. Very again repetitive, very silly. I, I don't know if I'd recommend that one. I would watch Take It Out and Trade. Um, this movie also caused a big stir at one of the film festivals. I can't. They had this big, um, you know, sexual harassment uh, scandal going on, and uh, this movie had some, you know, uh, a guy beating a female prostitute junkie, and uh, I guess it really upset people. But this movie is so like silly. 
and goofy and trashy that it's just like it's hard to be taken seriously. I mean, it's not like Steven Spielberg or like Clint Eastwood went out and made this very serious movie where they're like showing like uh, you know people horrible like, you know people that aren't supposed to be bad in a negative light or something. I don't know. It's just it's hard to take seriously. I can't believe this was like such a you know upset people. I mean, really, I think it's just like almost people like I don't want to say this. I don't want to be one of those guys, but you know people are just looking for a reason to get offended. There's always that guy that says that too, but sometimes it does feel like it. And this movie, if that movie offended you, I mean, you're watching exploitation movies from the 70s. I don't know what you're looking for, really. But uh, take it out and trade. I think it will interest some people. And it's definitely, you know, cool to see this get discovered. It looks really good, um, especially for, I imagine, this print was not taken very good care of because no one knew it freaking existed. Sex. That's where I come in. Dead or alive. Sex is always in need of my services. A service to which I sincerely apply myself wholeheartedly, sometimes even in the daylight hours. Your stupid lives! Stupid! Stupid! That's all I'm taking from you. Get back here, you jerk! person, man or woman, who can say sex doesn't enter their minds more than they care to admit, and I'll show you a dead human. We simply must speak to her about this kind of carrying on. Another car from Berger, Mom. He says everything here is all wet. I'll get even. Okay, the next one here is from Arrow Films, and you guys know how I feel about this director, but I'm going to talk about it anyways. Uh, Wizard of Gore by H.G. Lewis uh, also has another one, How to Make a Doll on here. Wizard of Gore. Um, this was made in, I believe, 71. And this is one of uh, maybe H.G. Lewis's last gore film, to be honest. Um, the concept in this movie is great. We have this uh, uh, musician, um, magician, I said musician, uh, magician, who is doing these illusions on stage where he takes somebody from the crowd, hypnotizes them, kills them on stage in gory detail, sends them back to the audience. They seem fine. Everybody sees it. And then moments later, they go out to dinner. And what happened to them in uh, this, the um the act happens to them in real life. So they were cut in half, they're cut in half. If a dagger went down their throat, their their throat's exposed. They die. So that concept is great. What happens here is this reporter and her husband, who's also works for the news, um, get involved in this. They start to notice that the people who are used in the act, um, because they go to more shows to study it, end up dead. So they catch on, and uh, that's pretty much the what we have here. Who's doing the killings? What's going on? How's it happening? Is there a madman following these women home and killing them? Or is it the uh, magician himself who never reveals his secrets? It's very obvious. Again, it's very repetitive. It's very cheap. Uh, the gore effects are gross because it is, um, you know, just, hey, let's go down to the butcher shop and toss these guts on this woman, and uh, <laughs> that's pretty much the, the special effects. They're nasty. They're gross. And uh, you know how uh, H.G. Lewis actually films. Uh, we learned from an interview with the lead cast in here. I can't think of his name, the guy who plays the magician. And uh, it's pretty fun. 
because it basically is he does a wide, he does a medium, he does close up. So, and he does that until you mess up your line. And I was impressed with the guy, the lead in here. He actually does a pretty good performance, especially for H.G. Lewis movie, because he has to remember freaking tons of lines. He was a last minute choice and they don't cut that much, which means this guy remembered all these weird, bizarre lines and somehow managed to do them in a shellacky fun way, which he was supposed to do without screwing up. So I got to give my hats off to the performance from the lead guy here. I do not think it would be easy. And there's also lots of things he has to do with this, the magic tricks and whatnot. I will say that the press that they use on stage is the fakest press working in the manufacturing uh, machine operator kind of thing where I do. That is the fakest press I've ever seen in my life, but I'm not expecting realism here. Okay, guys. Um, the desks are fairly gross. Like I said, um, the special features on here interview with uh, the lead actor, a commentary with HG uh, Lewis. And there's a nice uh, British uh, TV show that studies the films of HG Lewis and they hype him up big time. Like he's making the most gratuitously nasty movies ever. And again, like take it out and trade hg lewis to uh, movies to me for the most part most of them I'm not saying all of them but they can't really be taken that seriously because there is like such a cheap shellacky factor to them that like somebody being offended by this stuff it's just like huh I remember that one guy in the Video Nasties interview uh, was upset that they banned Zombie because he had a video store and he was like, how many times do you guys know zombies rip people apart? Like, it's fake. It's just so fake. It's obvious. Like, and, and it's just like the same thing. Like, how could people hype this like violence up? Yeah, like, yeah, but it's so fake. It's so shellacky. But that's all part of H.G. Uh, Lewis's charm for some people. So, you know, there's that going on. How to Make a Monster is, is pretty terrible, I think. It's it's pretty uh, boring, and I didn't care for that one at all. It's about this scientific experiment where they're trying to make women because this guy is so socially awkward, he can't get women. Of course, it doesn't go right. It gets really weird. It gets crazy. And uh, that's pretty much the plot of that. But Wizard of Gore, I will say, has one of the... Uh, it's I would have liked it much better if it weren't for the ending. I don't even think H.G. Lewis knew. He's In the introduction, he says, I just wanted basically people to say, what? And it's just like, you got that through, but I don't think there's enough there to actually interpret it. I think that the opening line in the movie and the ending are only there to just make you do what? And, and the opening only is there, so the ending is not a complete slap in the face, but... It's a ridiculous movie. It's an H.G. Lewis movie. It was remade in 2000, I think, 6 with Crispin Glover in the lead role, which interests me greatly because um, I like the concept. I mean, some of this guys, some of H.G. Lewis's concepts are really good. And this one is a little bit better than a lot of the other ones. Um, so, you know, it's not the worst H.G. Lewis movie at all. And I think it's very watchable, um, especially if you like low-budget gore movies and stuff like that. I check it out. Ladies and gentlemen, your attention, please. The announcement that I am about to make has been made only twice before in motion picture history. Each time it has preceded the showing of scenes from motion pictures which have become regarded as the most unusual of their type ever filmed. Now we make this announcement for the third time. The same production team that made the classic movie Blood Feast and later a film called The Gruesome Twosome which some regard as the wildest movie ever filmed, have a new movie geared to the 1970s. We are about to show you a few scenes of this movie, which is called The Wizard of Gore. For those of you who appreciate this type of cinematic art, you will see the most startling scenes of their type ever filmed. But for those of you with heart conditions, or who are with young and impressionable children, we ask that you turn around in your seats or leave this auditorium for the next two minutes. Thank you. Hi. 
Montag, master of illusion. Your eyes may see, but your mind may refuse to believe. Permit me to show you a few of the tricks I perform in the Wizard of Gore. I excuse myself from those activities you've just seen. No. You see, I'm not afraid to stick my neck out. way to slice a cabbage. Does this machine really work? Let's take a look. of all time. The Wizard of Gore. This film will take its place in motion picture history as a milestone of extraordinary achievement. Never before have the weird, the eerie, the astonishing, the bewildering been shown in so stunning a film. Behind the facade of a normal world lies another world whose grisly mystery brings panic to some satisfaction to others. An astounding achievement in bizarre, amazing theater. Okay, guys, the next one here is a new movie by uh, a guy I know. He's a pretty cool guy, Nathan Hine. It is Sidling Hill. Uh, this is the director's cut. This is the two-hour, ten-minute version. Uh, it's written by Harry Collins, if anybody knows the YouTuber Harry Collins. So, yeah, um, 
you guys know uh, Harry Collins runs a um, group, a gore group online on Facebook where he posts a lot of stuff from German splatter and all sorts of stuff. And uh, the director of this movie, um, uh, Harry Collins, and uh, you know the lead actor and writer, Nathan, are big supporters of independent cinema. Um, they are probably some of the biggest. They buy lots of stuff. They share lots of stuff. They donate to all the Kickstarters. So it's really cool to see uh, you know, a big supporter go out, a uh, big film, fan of these movies, and go out and make their own. Uh, Sidling Hill is an interesting movie. I remember it's been a couple of years he's been making this one, and I've been really interested in checking it out, to be honest. And I've been looking forward to it. I like low-budget movies. I like his short, The Last Days of Livermore, I believe it's called. So uh, it's pretty cool. What we have here is a vet who has post-traumatic stress disorder. He obviously has some problems uh, in he has, uh, you know, nightmares of, you know, what happened to him in Iraq. Uh, a friend of his and a friend's daughter, an older guy and his daughter, you know, they want to help him out. They want to get him out of the house. So they come pick him up and they say, we're going to go check out this of Sidling Hill, which is an abandoned underpass. Uh, it's like two miles of, uh, you know, abandoned underpass tunnel. And there's all these old wife's tales and, you know, urban legends about this place that people lose their mind in this thing. And people don't come out, all sorts of crazy things. He thinks it's bullcrap. He's a very, um, you know, uh, a p pessimistic person. He's damaged and he's... He's obviously not there right from the beginning. There's something wrong with this guy. He's kind of an asshole. He's very abrasive. He's just not not all there is the best way I can say it. Um, this is a low-budget movie. It's not very expensive. So obviously the budget uh, budget shows. Sometimes you'll hear hissing in the audio. Sometimes uh, some of the dialogue seems a little awkward and uh, the performances seem a little awkward. And I noticed that in the dialogue, um, the monologues that um, the lead character, um, lead actor give are, are great. The monologues he gives are great when he talks about, you know, war, when he says, when he visits this amusement park and he says, you're showing me things I don't like today. This reminds me of these feeling I used to get when I was a kid. I don't know why those monologues, they seem really uh, poignant in the movie and they work really well. But every once in a while, there'll be like a line of dialogue that just seems kind of strange in there. Like, what the fuck? Or what the hell? Or what's going on? That stuff doesn't seem as well acted. Maybe it's improv as um, the monologues. I think the monologues are great. And I'm not saying it's poorly acted or anything like that. It's just that I think that the monologues are so much above and beyond the rest of the acting. It's strange. But I, I actually like the lead character. I think it's an interesting character. And I like the idea of, you know, taking that kind of a dark subject matter and making it, you know, a serious way, you know. And it's not like, hey, isn't this awesome and dark? It's like a real story, so I like that. And the, the location's great. The underground, uh, uh, you know, like tunnel is just actually creepy, actually scary. And for a two-hour and ten-minute movie, independent movie, I thought I'd be a lot more bored. Of course, there's going to be more versions of this movie. I think a much shorter, two more shorter versions. So I, I would be interested in checking those out because I think the movie would be better if it was shorter, to be honest. Um what happens is they all go in this tunnel, and they obviously, you know, a couple. They all have their own demons, especially uh, the the war vet, and uh, they start to see things from their past. Um, and they see a lot of uh, some of them see some gory things, uh, which go on for a really long time because we know that the filmmakers here love gore, and uh, that's that's expected in this one. So there'll be lots of blood splatter. Some of the effects look better than others. Some of the head stuff looks, but there's like a head that's just that that's severed. It looks pretty good. So there's some cool stuff like that. Um, but I, like I said, I love the location. I love the monologues in here. And, it, and uh, there's some really cool shots, too. Um, like, sometimes, like, the shots, they come down and show the tunnel. And they, they shoot through certain angles and stuff. Uh, 
they the, the filmmakers definitely have an eye. They definitely have a nice eye to film stuff, and and there's lots of great scenic shots. Like um, they'll stop and like they shoot that amusement park. They shoot it well. They will shoot the woods well. They shoot their scenic elements really well, and I like that. Uh, there's some weird moments in here where they stop and they they uh, these they confront these rednecks where they ask where they're going, and uh, they start to get you know mouthy and pull out a knife, and the lead character just pulls out a gun. And he says. Is that what we're doing? And it's just that that's a very weird, strange, good moment because I like the lead's performance in that moment. So um, it's a unique movie uh, for a low-budget movie. It, it's, uh, it tackles a very serious subject matter, and there's a couple moments I really like in the movie, to be honest. And there's times when it does uh, have to be reminded of some, like, Fulci kind of stuff, I think. Just a little bit. Only kind of when they have their eyes done. I don't want to spoil too much. Definitely with the eyes in the tunnel. But... I would recommend checking it out. I mean, it is a low budget. If you like low budget movies, I would check it out for sure. And uh, I, I think I enjoyed it. I think it's cool. And I'm looking forward to what he does next. And I'm looking forward to seeing a shorter version of the movie. But, you know, there's some really nice shots in here. And uh, the performances, you know, aren't 100% perfect. But when they're strong, they're strong. And uh, I enjoyed all three of the performances from the leads. And particularly the main, the main guy. Nathan, I thought they were strong performances. And so, you know, I would recommend checking out. And the music. The music, I almost forgot. The music might be the best part of the whole movie. And I'm not big when it comes into the metal. That only happens a couple times. And the way they use it, I think it's okay. I think it works. But the music's great in this. The score is, is, is phenomenal. It's really good stuff. And I would check it out. You know, I would like the soundtrack alone because it's really good. And that's Sidling Hill. Um, I don't know if this version's available anymore, but it will be coming out later again. So uh, keep your eyes open. And I'll put a link down to the Facebook. So, yeah.
We're here to review one from Vinegar Syndrome. This was made in 1979. Uh, good luck, Miss Wyckoff. And I decided to review this one. I've had it sitting there. And uh, Joe Rubin and another guy from Vinegar Syndrome, I know Joe, had had an interview with him on here a while ago. Uh, he was talking about it on the Shockwaves podcast, and he mentioned that it was one of his favorite movies that they released, and it was an uh, underseller. So I was like, well, I'm going to check it out. And uh, it was actually very good. I was very happy with it. Um, do you want to give the plot on this one? You go ahead and give the plot on this one. A teacher goes to a school and they talk about communism. And then she goes to a doctor. And then there's more talk about communism. And then she moves out of town. Okay, that is a very, very small rundown. <laughs> but uh, it's basically 1954 Freedom, Kansas. And it's kind of an ironic name because there's nothing free in this part of town. Uh, it's during, you know, uh, race relations are terrible. And uh, we have this super liberal teacher, Miss Wyckoff, 35-year-old virginal teacher, even though she's played by a 47-year-old at the time. Um, and she has these weird, she's starting to have, I guess, what would you call them, hot flashes um, and menopause. And she's very emotional. Something's going mm -hmm. wrong with her. So she decides to go to... To a doctor, Robert Vaughn, who suggests that she go to a psychiatrist, Donald Pleasance. And those are some of the best scenes in the film. Um, this movie is, um, in the first half, it was one of the most, um, like, uh, politically charged movies I've seen in a long time. It tackled race issues, communist issues, um, paranoia in a small town. And the second half of the movie turns into an exploitation film, which makes it seem more legit than a lot of other movies. It's really just not an exploitation movie in general. It's really just a really dark, depressing drama that has these really hard edges to it. And it's made more shocking that it has such an all-star cast and tremendous performances. Besides Donald Pleasance and uh, Robert Vaughn, you'll see people pop in like R.G. Armstrong, who is a, you know, a big character actor at the time and worked up until his death. So it's strange to see all these familiar faces. And the lead actress and uh, is, is famous too. I'm just not too familiar with her work, to be honest, but she was tremendous in the movie. And uh, it, it's so depressing what happens to her. And I'm going to have to do some minor... Probably going to have to spoil it here. So if you're... Mm -hmm. I would recommend the movie, but there's going to be spoilers from here on out. So, Yeah. Um, what do I want to say about this movie? What stands out? Um, well, the performances definitely the stand performances out. The performances definitely stand out. The, um, um, oh, good. The The film looks beautiful. It's a great looking movie. Great looking movie. Um, the like the cast of characters was just like a bunch of I uh, maybe would call it like an ensemble cast. Yeah, I, yeah. I don't know like necessarily like who the actresses and actresses or the actors and actresses are. Um, but just each little character is just kind of unique in their own. Way. Yeah, and they give they give great performances. And the thing is that. She is like a pillar of the community in a lot of ways. There's a, a, a point in this film when everybody accuses this other teacher of being a communist. And mm -hmm. what happens is she stands up for him and says, because he's teaching communist works, and she says, if we do not learn about these communists, if we don't allow them to teach what these other, the Russians and the Chinese are learning, and they um, don't, they oppress their people by not teaching, you know, um, you know, democracy, then we are just as bad as them. And it's very anti-American. And she gives this big speech and gets everybody riled up. The The actor who plays the principal is magnificent in the movie. Mm -hmm. And he's, he's, uh, what happens halfway through the movie is she is raped by, um, 
a young he's not he's a young man who works in the school he's supposed to be an athlete on a scholarship but he's much older he has a criminal background and he rapes her and puts her into this forces her into this horrible relationship of uh, aggressive sexual behavior after she's a virgin and uh basically blackmails her into having sex and the town eventually finds out about it that's what this movie is really about and it, it opens up with some real horrible racial stuff and it comes back to it and you start to learn and it's just such a horrible thing how this town would take somebody that they did so much work for them and and, and she was did so much work for the african american community and that she was raped by this african american person and then it, it's just a dumb person would become racist from this movie, not understanding how messed up everything actually is and how complex everything is. It's just a, it's a very crazy movie and it has all these like undertones, like uh, even some of the teachers are still racist at the age. And, and um, when they find out that it's possibly that she's having a relationship with the black, uh, black person, they refuse to accept it. And, and she's pretty much banished from the town after all this. And you can tell that the people have these feelings that they still like her and they they have to turn their back on her, especially the principal and her best friend and even the la the landlord. They're all have this, this feelings and mixed emotions. And it's just so of the time. And it's just, like I said, the title free there, it takes place in freedom. Kansas is so freaking ironic because it's so horrible. Um, that's, you go on. You've, there's you've there's also that there's, <laughs> there's also a really amazing uh, scene where she becomes interested because when she's having conversations with Donald Pleasance and that interactions between them is wonderful because uh, he's basically talking uh, he's reading her like saying well you basically want me to go tell you to be sexually ex out there and have experiences and things like that and uh, she actually starts meeting a bus driver on the way to the uh, psychiatrist and they start to have a relationship and she's thinking about you know actually cheating with uh, this guy and having an affair with him because he's married and and it, it's just a very interesting stuff here and and there's a scene in this movie that plays like a horror movie when she's in um uh i guess uh, uh what do they call those uh basically a, a school show and mm -hmm. they're playing a uh, music up there and uh, one of the students is playing a, a pretty beautiful piece of music and she just has this uh, emotional uh reaction to it that's not normal and it's played like a horror movie and everyone's just wondering it's a really strong scene and a great performance from the lead I'm trying to think of something to say, and I, I'm just... I'm you were so heated about Straw Dogs, but you have nothing to say about Good Luck, uh, Miss Wyckoff. Be because, you know, it, it's a really good movie. Um, I'd say not a whole lot happens in the movie. It, hold on, hold on. Let me, let, me, let me justify this. Because it really is for, for like, like, I'd say, three-fourths of the movie, her day-to-day -day life. She's a Latin teacher. She teaches class. She, she's having some... Some issues, whether it's going through menopause or whatever the case may be. So she goes to the doctor. He sends, it, it's really for like a good hour of the movie is filming her day-to-day -day, like interactions with the other faculty, with her, her doctor, Donald Pleasance, who disappears in the movie. And I've always thought that was a shame. I wouldn't have like one more final scene. Whoa. The movie has a mean streak like no other. It does. She can't get to the doctor, which makes mm -hmm. all the experiences worse. And 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 this movie sets it up that you think that she's going to do something radical, and she doesn't, which makes you think it's even... I don't know which would be darker, to be honest. I don't know. Because if she did do that radical thing, then she might... The townspeople might be forced to you know look at what they've caused, in a way. It's... Really, it's the perfect follow-up to Straw Dogs because it's 
the very it's a very similar situation if you take somebody and you push them to the edge how do they respond she responds in kindness and she just does her best she you know what like like what you just said about like if she does react violently it brings attention to everybody around her what did they cause well in straw dog's case everybody around what's his name dennis hopper Dustin Hoffman. Dustin Hoffman. I just watched Shit. two Dennis Hopper movies this week, too. <laughs> you know, what, what did that town cause? That town caused, you know, fucking five people, or freaking five people dead, and... Six. Six, yeah. Whatever. I didn't watch it. Um, <laughs> yeah, you did. <laughs> you know, and, and th- this this has the exact opposite effect. It, it's She's a very liberal teacher. She gets raped by an African-American student, when all this comes into light, she was like, oh, I don't want him to lose his scholarship. Don't do anything to, to punish him. Which is horrible because, honestly, that character should be put to death. <laughs> right. He is a monster, legit, and he's not going to change. He Obviously, the way he forces himself on her and rapes her is an experienced uh, monster. Like, and you see, like, a serial killer, their first kills are always timid. Or mm-hmm. this is full, like, he knows exactly what he's doing. He's done it before. And just uh, the way he plays, it's just, he's a he's a malicious character. But like I said, I love the the, the character actors in this movie. Mm-hmm. And, and the, it has a name and title, which I love saying. Good luck, Miss Wyckoff. And right. the, the principal says it. And I love the principals. Uh, and everybody says, why didn't you just talk to me? Like, they're so <laughs> mad that the best person they know ended up doing something so horrible to the, to the that they have to turn their backs on. Well, I think, is it Robert Vaughn or is it Donald Pleasance that suggests she, I, I would say, I don't want to say has an affair, but. He, oh, it's Robert Vaughn says, you know, basically says if you don't use it, you'll lose it. Right. Because she's a virgin at 35 and they say she's going to early menopause and it's just such a strange, and she has a weird relationship with sex, obviously, because they mm-hmm. talk about it in her family and life and whatnot. And, and you know what's funny about the trailer, the Good Luck Miss Wyckoff trailer? It's just so like. It doesn't talk about any of the race issues. No. It doesn't talk about um, the trailer didn't, and it didn't talk about any of the like ex- sexually explicit stuff, which kind of just blew my mind. That's why there's going to be two trailers uh, at this, and you'll see like one's a little the alternate name was Sin, and it's just more accurate to the movie, I think. Well, and and the relationship she has with the student, you know, the, the initial the initial rape is a bit on the violent side, and then like it happens. It's probably the one of the top worst rape scenes I've ever oh, seen. Oh yeah, it absolutely. made me so uncomfortable and grossed out. Like I was just like, uh, not like all the other rape scenes. Like that was a good rape. That was hot. No, right. I'm just saying. But no, that was horrible. Like I'm not saying other ones are are more pleasant, but this one was particularly graphic. Well, and unpleasant. They, they they show them interact a few times, and like like sometimes it's very um, violent, and other times she's I don't want to say she's into it, but like it, it's a bit more. Like, the second time when, like, they lay down on the floor and they're a bit more, like, sensual, I guess. Like, it's a bit more... It's weird how how they... Because I think they show it, like, three or four times throughout the movie. Um, And sometimes it's... You know, just a violent rape. And sometimes it's... She's... I don't want to say she's into it, but she's kind of into it, you know? Well, she has, like, this sexual... It's like an attraction. Yeah, yeah. She, she tries to find out information about yeah. him, and that's what leads her to think, oh, or when she finds out, oh, he's not a student. I mean, he's a student. But, but he's, he's way older than he should. He shouldn't be there. Like, he like was found in the big city somewhere. Well, they're hustling. They yeah. basically should take that. He was basically... Um, <coughs> 
our football team needs to be better, so we're going to take literally a full-grown man and put him on our team. Right. It's like, I, I'm pretty sure athletic communities have done that before, back in the day especially. Nobody's going to check that stuff mm-hmm. as well. But um, it, it's just a, I was, it's a very impactful film, and I think it ends, like, as a young person, I'd be like, that movie should have ended differently, but <laughs> the more intelligent, I don't want to say that necessarily, but the more I get older, I realize that not, there's not closure and things just end up in the air like that. And I think it's, um, accurate ending and appropriate ending and perfect ending at the same time. Like it's just, no, I'm just going to move on. And, and that's, I, I think that's what I was getting at. Like, like the movie is really just her going through her life and, and yeah, you know, three fourths of the way through this very important thing happens to her. She, in a way recovers, she, you know, she loses her job, but like the, the principles, like I'll put in a good word for you. And my, you know. I have to tell you what I have to say. What happened though? It's just so right. It's, it's just so real life-ish. It's like it feels really real, and mm-hmm. it's just you want to explode for her. Like right. there's these moments where like that they actually do show there's something wrong with her beforehand when she decides to smash the mirror. Oh, the mirror! I scene? didn't used to hate what I look like, but I saw what I did, and I just did not like what I saw there. Mm-hmm. Something along those lines. It's just I don't know, and uh. I'll watch Donald Pleasance in almost anything again. And Robert Vaughn has two uh, poignant scenes. R.G. Armstrong has some good stuff. R.G. Armstrong really feels kind of like you're like a father figure in that movie. Like he's he's good. He's sweet. Maybe you girls shouldn't be going to see that movie. I should, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But um, you most definitely know that R.G. Armstrong turned his back on her immediately when he found that out. Oh, right. I, I, I can imagine. You know what I mean? Can Donald Pleasance stand? He, what are you comparing? How he's because he's in a wheelchair and phenomenon. I, I think every movie I ever see him, he's always sitting, except for Puma Man. We, <laughs> Puma Man, <laughs> I know he's out there. <laughs> I'm sure Donald Pleasance. Um, I, I shouldn't say this, but uh, he's like, I only charge you half price if you let me <laughs> sit down, so I can be <laughs> drunk as hell. Because I know, like, uh, you know, Donald Pleasance had the um, said he was a big drinker, but I mean, I don't know. But Oliver Reed was too, and Oliver Reed always turned in tremendous performances, drunk or not. <laughs> and so did Donald Pleasance, and this one particularly. I mean, almost everything I've always enjoyed both of those guys in. He's really mm-hmm. good in this. I just wish he was in it more. That's kind of the thing, you know. But uh, her friend is a great performance as well. Oh, yeah. Both of them. The mm-hmm. one that is a little bit kind of a, the more southern one that's a little bit more racist and angry she's great and her best friend is one of the best characters in the film and they all go to the chinese restaurant it feels mm-hmm. very real it's, it's, it, it's yeah. too real which is make makes all those things very impactful and so, some of my favorite scenes are when the faculty is eating lunch in the cafeteria and the conversations they have it's like man people don't change from high school do they because they seriously just talk like like these are like 55 year old or 35 year old ladies yeah um just gossiping at like the the cafeteria lunch table and it's like this is beautiful i Small love this town mentality everybody gossips right? in that town though it just gets worse and worse and worse for this poor lady a great movie um if you have um are willing to go down uh some horrible dark things and i would highly recommend this one i don't want to call it a dark drama but um with exploitation elements but i just it's crazy it's so highly sexual and you don't expect that there's there's, um, what is it? What do they call that? Hang a dong. Definitely hang a dong in this movie. What's a hang a dong? A hang a dong in a stroke? Is that it's like a... Male nudity. Oh. Hey, remember? Have you ever seen It's Always Sunny? I hung dong. What, what did they say? Was that? <laughs> <laughs> that what they call it in that? I don't, I don't remember. Know. But, uh, yeah, it's a great movie. I think that you guys should check it out. I yeah. think it looks... They did a great job cleaning it up, too. There's a DVD. There's a Blu-ray. There's a soundtrack. Uh, well worth your time. Mm-hmm. Thank <laughs> you.
Has it been a very long time since you were with a man? Have you ever been with a man? Do you ever have sex? From William Inge, the Pulitzer Prize winning author of Bus Stop, Picnic, Dark at the Top of the Stairs, and Splendor in the Grass, Good luck, Miss Wyckoff. It is 1954 in Freedom, Kansas. And Evelyn Wyckoff, a popular, attractive high school teacher at 35, finds her life in turmoil. Have you ever been in love, Miss Wyckoff? Must be very difficult being an unmarried teacher in Freedom. A psychiatrist tries to release her from the nightmare of the past. He was just standing there with no clothes on, and my mother was screaming at him. Then she pointed at him and said, what he ever wanted to do was to do it. But still, there is the pain and the need. I can't sleep. Come what's happening to me. Finally, she meets a man and considers him for a lover. Well, there's a lot of other things that a woman could be besides just being sexy. What other things might a woman be, Ed? You just take a look in the mirror someday. Take a good look at you. You see what I mean? That's one of the most beautiful things anyone ever said to me. Only to be rejected at the very moment she's most willing to open her affections. Good Luck, Miss Wyckoff is a story of feelings. Those denied, those discovered, those fulfilled in a most shocking and unexpected way. Why in heaven's name did you do it? What happened to me was inevitable. I wouldn't change it. And I feel no shame for what I did. Good Luck Miss Wyckoff stars Anne Haywood, Donald Pleasance, Robert Vaughn, Dorothy Malone, Carolyn Jones, Ronnie Blakely, and Earl Holloman. The emotional explosion is hers. The emotional experience is yours. Good luck, Miss Wyckoff. How long can a woman stand being a virgin? You just take a look in the mirror someday. Take a good look at you. You see what I mean? It's been too long forever. I can't sleep. God, what's happening to me? Well, I hope you don't think that I was suggesting anything quite like that. Please. Anne Haywood in her most ironic role since the fox. Do you ever have sex? The sin.
a sensual, shocking story that boldly explodes on the screen. Anne Haywood as the frustrated virgin. You were my best friend. And now I feel like I hardly knew you at all. Why didn't you talk to me? Maybe I could have helped you. Beth, please. What happened to me was inevitable. Pushed to the limit and into committing the sin. Anne Haywood in The Sin. Okay, guys, here we go. The VHS Voyage. It is Demon Warp. <laughs> it had to come, right? I had to do Demon Warp. Guys, Demon Warp, what can I say? What is this, 1986 maybe? Late 80s. It's it's a, a very bizarre, weird movie. And I'm probably going to spoil this one a little bit. Demon Warp is one of those so bad it's good movies. It's a guilty pleasure. And it stars Academy Award winning actor George Kennedy. I love George Kennedy. He always does a good job. Um, this movie, um, spoilers, so do not... If, if you want to go on this blind, leave. I'm going to spoil on this one. This movie is a Bigfoot movie. This movie is a zombie movie. This movie is an alien movie. This movie is crazy. Uh, it's constantly filled with nudity. Brink Stevens is in here, nude. Um, it's nonsense. Uh, Carl Buchler does the effects, and uh, there's a great Bigfoot in here that looks just like Carl Buchler. Um, all his effects look like him. Dustin said that once, and I can't get it out of my head. The Ghoulies from Ghoulies 3 look like Carl Buchler. Cellar Dweller looks like him. Victor Crowley looks like him in the first movie, and this Bigfoot looks like him, but he looks great. Um, we have a Bigfoot tack in this cabin. George Kennedy and his daughter. George Kennedy is attacked, hurt, knocked out, and his daughter is taken into the woods. That's uh, these uh, Later, these uh, this group of uh, about six or is it six friends decide to come up and uh the lead doesn't let them know that he's actually looking for his missing uncle because he disappeared here he owned this cabin george kennedy's still around and he's going to get that woolly bastard as he calls him uh and uh try to find his daughter while the lead tries to find his uncle what they stumble across is this weird strange world where uh there's this spacecraft that has crashed and there's zombies roaming around and there's the the aliens are turning people into things it is batshit it is crazy it is ridiculous it is tons of fun tons of effects there's some gore here there's always nudity and when it, it progresses it gets weirder and weirder and weirder and the zombies are absolutely hilarious they're wearing these giant latex masks and heads some of them some of them look good some of them just are like Ugh. you're like that's the, what is that like it, i love it it's a, it's a, it's a complete definition of a good bad movie it's very entertaining everybody tries and i have kind of a funny story here um one of my good friends matt hudson who's been in some of the movies i made 
and some of Dustin's stuff. Um, he has a friend. I don't want to give his name or anything, but uh, his friend one time is like, I see you have all these movies. Uh, you like horror movies. And he starts naming some. He's like, I had a professor who was in a few. And he starts naming them. And he's like, Demon Warp. She's in Demon Warp. You seen that one? I was like, yeah, I've seen Demon Warp. Who is she? Uh, it turns out that I don't want to say anything, but one of the actresses in this movie went on to become a college professor. And they looked her up and they found out all these movies she had been in. So that's pretty funny to me. And it's kind of a nice little story I always associate with Demon Warp. But uh, George Kennedy is great in it. Um, I like it quite a bit. Um, it's very stupid. It's very fun. And I think Vestron might own this one, right? I think that it was a Vidmark. So remember Vidmark? Remember how trashy Vidmark used to be and how fun it was? Like Trimark, Vidmark, Entertainment, the Leprechaun movies, the dentist, all sorts of weird stuff. But Demon Warp, I would definitely recommend checking it out. It's a lot of fun. And uh, it's one of these deals where it's just like uh, average like B-movie actors. And then there's got this big actor, George Kennedy. And it. it's like, I have 10 minutes to spare. What can I do? But uh, check it out. It's worth it. The special effects wizards that brought you From Beyond and Ghoulies have created another wild trip into terror. Demon Warp, a horrifying break between ancient fear and future shock. Starring Academy Award winner George Kennedy, Demon Warp, a transmutation into terror. Ghost stories have always been part of a campout. I've seen weird shapes moving around here in the nighttime. These often grisly tales. Hey, don't you guys know where we are, huh? This is demon with animals. Stay away from drones. Are a figment of the storyteller's imagination. Yeah, you know, this is where those people were attacked. At least most of them are. Demon Warp. In the wilds of Demonwood. There's a thing. Out here, there exists an ancient evil. It shows that people have been reporting weird and strange things up here for nearly 100 years. An evil from another universe. After being stranded for more than a century, our Lord is ready to return to the glory of heaven. An evil that cannot be destroyed. <laughs> oh! <laughs> it took my little girl. I wasn't prepared to stop it then, but stop it now my uncle came up here to check it out i mean just to check it out a couple of weeks ago find anything he never came back we're gonna die aren't we jack this place is dangerous look what i got for you the dimension known as demon warp isn't hard to find you made it you're living me I'm dead. But once you become lost in its twisting realities, you will never find your way back. Demon Warp. Okay, guys, the pick a movie is The Interview, the 1998 Australian movie um, with Hugo Weaving. Um, man, this was obviously a former rental, but... Uh, so I grabbed it. Uh, I had not heard about this movie. And uh, I know why they picked this. Because they know I have like an interest. Maybe they just want to hear me talk about it. But they, I have an interest in serial killers and true crime and stuff like that. So yeah. I think most people do nowadays. But the interview. And I also hadn't seen any real like good Hugo Weaving performances. You know, I'd seen him in stuff like, you know, in the Avengers movie. One of them where he plays the Red Skull. And, and the Matrix movies. And the Lord of the Rings movies. And they're always just like big budget. I'm here because I'm a name sort of deal. And I look okay in makeup. I don't know. I never thought they were good performances. I was just like, okay, they're there. He's not bad. But he's just very, you know, standard. This one, he turns in a pretty good performance. This is a very weird movie. Um, it's basically 
the whole story is about an interview. What happens before, what happens after, um, the details of it, the politics of it, the bureaucracy of it, a police interview. Or we have this character, Hugo Weaving. He's at home. He seems like weird. He has newspapers spread around his house. These two agents bust in. They are aggressively treating him. I mean, they're treating him very, they're being very aggressive toward him, treating him roughly, um, you know, kind of assaulting him, basically. They take him in. They suspect him of a stolen car, but there's much more going on than that. They confiscate everything in his apartment. And we have this, what happens is he's terrified, and pretty soon there's a turn in the movie where he um, starts to change. And, um, he uh, starts to turn into this weird cat and mouse type story where we have these reenactments and you start to think at first um, these, this is going to be a wrongfully accused movie and then you start thinking no this is going to be a Hugo Weaving is actually a, a killer movie and then you start thinking maybe this is a revenge movie or maybe it's none of those movies I don't want to spoil too much but that's an interesting way how they play with that and they start playing with other things too about how corrupt this whole system is in a way but also at the same time you could let a killer go if you're not careful in this system. It, it's really kind of a, a hard movie to tackle in that way, like protocol being broken. Do you let the protocol be broken to possibly save lives, or do you follow protocol to a T in the movie? And I'm not necessarily talking about the two agents, because those guys, especially one, is a piece of crap and should lose his job. But... And it also involves newspaper and, uh, and things like that. And the way it unfolds and the way people play their 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 role in the movie is great. And uh, one of the characters, one of the agents, is way more clever than people would give credit for. And so is Hugo Weaving in here. A a interesting movie. Um, and the actual flashbacks are really done well. Um, there's lots of, uh, you know, it, a lot of the movie is just shot in an interview room. And sometimes they'll do some different angles and whatnot and and uh, it's it's a pretty good movie. It keeps you on the edge of your seat. You don't really know how it's going to unfold or what's going to happen or if the people are, you know, how you really feel about all the characters in there. And without spoiling too much, I enjoyed it. I thought it was good. I thought it was all well acted around the board. And I didn't see that these actors did too much besides Hugo Weaving. So it's kind of a shame, especially the lead um, uh, agent I thought was pretty good. And uh, yeah, I, th I would recommend checking it out if you're interested in true crime stories or you know police corruption or how this kind of process would work in a different country and, and whatnot. And, and uh, you know, pay attention to details and uh, make sure you, you know all the things that you say and what you do don't come to bite you in the ass. But it's a pretty cool movie. It's called The Interview.
Okay, guys, we're gonna do the pick a movie drawing. Like I said, due to the Patreon thing, I'm gonna I'm gonna uh, finish out the old bag, finish out the new bag, and I might be done. So I'm gonna give you one more chance to enter the pick a movie. It might come back at some time, but it's gonna be a long time. There's so many names in this hat, this bag, and the other bag coming up. But um, let me know. I'll add you in the new bag, and if you want, because this is gonna be probably the last chance video to be entered in the bag. But uh, I don't remember. Uh, we just did the interview. What are we going to do now? Who's going to be picked? Got quite a few names in here. We got Jason Willard, my buddy. I know Jason Willard. He's a good guy. Is he going to give me something karate or martial arts? Maybe. I don't know. But I know the guy. He's a good guy. So let me know what you want me to check out. Okay. Let's get into the questions. Like I said, if you do want to be entered in the Pick a Movie, leave a comment on Facebook uh, or on uh, the Screaming Toilet page is most preferable. Or in, uh, you know, right here on YouTube, I can handle it too. Uh, questions. Chris Leppard, have you done a review for Beyond the Black Rainbow? No, I have not. I, I haven't even seen that one, though, but I do want to see it, especially after watching Mandy. I enjoy that one quite a bit. Peter Engelin, how do you order your Blu-ray and DVD collection from A to Z or companies or genre? Um, usually I split genre first. So, like, if it's a horror, exploitation, cult, they all go together. And then they go by company. So, like, you see back there, or where am I looking at? Right here? We have company, like, that's Anchor Bay. I do a lot of the niche labels and stuff. So, upstairs, the Blu-rays are separated by companies. But if they're not, like, companies, I don't separate everything. Like, if there's not a big enough, like, they go in alphabetical order. So, that's how it's done. Okay, uh, Nick Mool, what's the sound you make at the end of your show mean? Um, there was this weird sound I always made. It was like, ah, or, ah, and it's basically just a funny thing uh, that I, a ghoulie sound or something like that, a little creature sound that I always used to make that, uh, you know, became like an inside joke with me and some of my friends. So I just do it. I just do it all the time. Uh, if you had a pet zombie, how would you train it? Mm, I don't know. Does the zombie bite? Does it contain? Does it contagious? Like, can I like spread the sickness? If I had a zombie, I'd knock all its teeth out. It would have no teeth. I don't know if I'd want a pet zombie because he'd be smelly. I probably wouldn't want it. But if I had to train it, do I leave its teeth and train it like Bub from Day of the Dead? I don't know. That's a tough question. I don't even know if I'd want it to be honest. I would try to train it like Day of the Dead style, though, if I had to train it. What's the one badass movie weapon always wanted to have for yourself? Like, what movie prop weapon? Or what weapon? Um, because, honestly, I would probably just take something like the three fifty seven Magnum from Taxi Driver. That's probably what I would take. Or, uh, yeah, probably that. Uh, the Mahoney Chops. Where's my boy Jeremy? Well, I think Jeremy's going to be in this episode. I'm going to... We're going to do a, a movie, I think. Uh, but you'll be already seeing that review. So um, I'm glad people like seeing Jeremy on here. I think it's uh, fun. You know, I think he does a pretty good job. So uh, old questions. These are questions uh, to answers that I didn't get to um, that I missed for the last show. Um, uh, the best, worst movies are uh, the best. So movies, so movies are so bad. They're good. That's basically what we have here. And some old answers. This was from the question before Peter Englund, Hell of the Living Dead, Neighbors, uh, Invasion USA, Maximum Overdrive, Prince of Darkness, Ghost of Mars. Prince of Darkness is not bad. That movie's great. I will go to bat for Prince of Darkness. I don't think there's anything bad about it. I don't get it. That's one I don't get. 
I love. I know you like it, but I just don't understand why people consider it bad. I never understood it. I, I must have saw that movie, and you know, like when I saw like a lot of Carpenter movies, like they had a bad rep. Like The Thing, when I was young, it didn't have a bad rep. It just played on Sci-Fi all the time, and I rented it and always enjoyed it. I didn't know it was like panned by critics. And the same thing with Prince of Darkness. I didn't understand that. It, I knew it wasn't as popular as Halloween or something like that, but I always liked it. Ben Miller, so bad it's good favorite. Spookies, Zardos, Rubber. 2019, After the Fall of New York, Escape from the Bronx, Nightmare City, Burial Ground, The Knights of Terror, Demon Wind, Necromancy. I love Nightmare City and Burial Ground. And, you know, you got some good ones that I actually like. Rubber's so bad it's good? I don't know, man. I like Rubber. I think it's like a stupid, silly art movie that makes fun of pretentiousness. By, man, it's not, maybe it's pretentious. I don't know. I think it's fun. Uh, Spookies I love, too. Demon Wind is pretty stupid, but it's all right. Uh, Tempo Tapos, great bad movies. Nothing But Trouble and Freddy Got Fingered are both terrible and fascinating at the same time. I remember turning off Freddy Got Fingered when it came out. Didn't really care for it, but I really liked Nothing But Trouble. When me and my cousin used to watch it, we didn't know it was bad. We just liked it. We thought it was funny. We were little kids. That line that always cracked me up when it's like, they give their names to Debo and whatever the names are. Like, we're not allowed in the house. <laughs> we just thought that was the funniest thing. Like they just like, you know, give that information immediately. Viper Rose, 1978. Favorite worst movie would be a toss-up between Class of Newcomb High and Slumber Party Massacre 2. I love the Class of Newcomb High. I love the scene when they tear the school apart. That's just an awesome scene. Uh, Ray Strop. My best worst movie is The Meat Eater. That's one I haven't seen yet. I think I have a bootleg DVD here. The M. Brown 80. So bad they're good. Macamie, Jim Cotta, Barry Gordy's Last Dragon, Garbage Pail Kids. Great call on Garbage Trail Kids. Ski Patrol and Night to Dismember. Honestly, any Dorsch Wishman flick. Ha ha. And tagline has got to be from Chatterbox, 1977. The woman of a... The, I, I ask best taglines. Uh, the story of a woman who has a hilarious way of expressing herself. You'll roar when she sits down to talk. Ah. And we have some new answers. Um, I asked uh, Bucket List, what movie did you want on Blu-ray? Um, one title. Peter England, Five Corners, and Killer Must Kill Again. Um, plus a re-release is Rolling Thunder. That's three. Um, X Rella X, what I want on Blu-ray. He basically just posted something that he wants to buy. That upcoming 30 disc Igmar, Igmar Bergman box on Criterion. I think everybody wants that. Brett Hominen, a movie not released in my region on Blu-ray is The Ice Storm. I love that movie. It's a pity that Criterion Blu-rays are region locked as they have released this one. You got to invest in them region free players, man. Gotta. It's a must. Hudson, one movie I'd like to see coming out on Blu-ray is The Fearless Vampire Killers. Even more if it was a special collector's edition with lobby cards, poster, and booklet. Awesome. That's a crazy movie. It's so weird. P.S. Still waiting for my upgrade to come out on Blu-ray. We are so far behind you guys in the U.K. Oh, for upgrade. For upgrade. Uh, Ilk Vomit, one film I need on Blu-ray. Stat is Freaks. You know... I'm a fellow Robot Ninja fan, but when that movie comes out and then somewhat nice collector's edition Blu-ray before a classic like Freaks boggles my mind. Over the years, I've seen a lot of turd cutters released with special collector's edition, ridiculous special collector's editions, and it pisses me off. I need Freaks, damn it. Freaks definitely needs to be released. Warner Archive should do that one next. I mean, Freaks is a classic, right? I mean, I can't believe it's not unreleased. It's not released. Peter McCain, Spider Labyrinth needs a Blu-ray. No doubt. That's a great movie. Come on, Severin. That's right up your alley. Uh, Nick Mua, I would like to see a nice Blu-ray release of, actually, or Mondo Macabro would do a great job with Spider Labyrinth. Nick Mua, I would like to see a nice Blu-ray release of Sheldon Wilson's Shallow Grave, 2004, uh, featuring the Bad Seeds Patty McCormick, and it should be an overflowing with special features, of course, like they do for all the Arrow releases. The Wicker Boy, awesome show, dude. Thanks for answering my questions. 31, I agree, was awful. 
I think with, um, oh, I basically, his question's all the way at the end. Sorry, my I was just reading this whole thing. For me, I would like to see a decent Blu-ray release of Ken Russell's The Devils on cut if a print ever turned up. No doubt. The Devils is an outstanding movie. And it's probably Al Reed's best performance. Before he is, um, I don't want to spoil anything, but at his trial, uh, and the, he's like, my only crime is for loving a woman or something like that. That whole speech is just, I was like, <laughs> it's just the way he delivers it is so good. James Grimmer, I would really like for Survive Style 5 Plus to get a Blu-ray release, as the bootleg I have is Japanese menus. It's an odd but fun movie that deserves to be seen by more people. Ben Miller, Eyes of Fire would be a great on Blue, or at least a legit release on disc in the States. Very low-key, full director's cut of the key, but probably won't ever happen. He wants that too. Okay, I think I'm going to go with the new question. Um, the new question I want to ask you guys is, I didn't forget this time. I didn't forget. Finally. Um, movies that have a powerful song made for them or movies that use a song perfectly. Like um, a song I'm thinking of is the movie Soldier Blue from 1970, 71. It's a Soldier Blue. I'll, I'll play it. See, I love that song. And it's used perfectly in Soldier Blue. Or like the song Chino in the, the opening of Chino with Charles Bronson. Great song as well. And my favorite, um, the song... Um, from the crazies heaven help us that song um, makes that movie I love the crazies but that song like makes the crazies even better for me um, a song like that a song that back in the 70s like that folky music that was made for the movie that just had that great impact or something like even uh, Pat Garrett and Billy the Kid 1973 the Bob Dylan soundtrack the score or whatever it is soundtrack but what is your favorite what is a song in a movie or a movie that has such a tremendous like song used in it like that made for the movie possibly but or something that was just so perfect you know like um the graduate simon and garfunkel stuff like that so i'm just that's my question okay guys let's hop into the update okay guys let's hop into the update first on here is the blood island collection from severn films look at this bad boy it is the blood trilogy plus the prequel um four movies on this thing what are they? Uh, Beast of Blood, uh, Mad Doctor of Blood Island, Brides of Blood, and Terror is a Man. I'm sure this thing's loaded with features. I have not got a chance to open it up. Let me go a little wider for you guys. Um, yeah, but I'm sure the prints look great. Uh, these are like corny, cheesy movies that I never really wanted to grab because I missed the original, um, what was that company? Image and then Al Alpha Films or whatever, and they're kind of like a budget. I didn't know how the prints would be. But uh, regardless, I'm kind of excited to see those. Kind of also scared to check them out. I don't know what I'm going to get. Then we have uh, Vendetta and Naked Vengeance from uh, Shout Factory, Screen Factory. Um, I have seen Naked Vengeance years ago, and it's a, kind of a cheesy rape revenge movie. And I was earlier talking about those movies that are made for the uh, score of the movie. And I remember a really corny song being in it that made me laugh hysterically when I saw it. But this, honestly, I saw it when I was 19 years old. So it was over 10 years ago, guys. So I don't remember. I never saw Vendetta, but... You know, I like these double features. I just wish they were priced more appropriately. $25 for two double feet. I mean, they is double features, but, you know, I don't know. There's not really any special features on there, so. Then we have The Satanic Rites of Dracula. It's the first time this has ever had a proper release over here. I know that. Maybe anywhere from Warner Archive. I know there's been so many crummy releases of this movie. And finally, we get it in HD. This is one of the Dracula movies. I have seen it, but like there's like nine of these things from Hammer that follow the story. And I kind of bleed like three or four of them together, and this is one of them. 
Then we have One Million Years B.C. This is a Hammer movie. I'm not doing it for the Hammer show, uh, which is the Hammer year. So, But I wanted to grab it just in case. Then we have the Quater Mass Experiment. I do have the Kino release, but I grabbed this because it has a special feature on here. This is the uh, um, Australian release. The special features on here actually include X the Unknown and Quater Mass 2 and Standard Def, and this is the cheapest way to get them. So, yeah, I had to because I think that otherwise I'd be paying an arm and a leg for them. So, I already have the Quater Mass, I said, but that, that release is probably nice as well. Then we have The Hound, uh, the Hound of uh, Baskersville, which is a Hammer movie and the only Hammer Sherlock Holmes movie, I think. Um, Peter Cushing and Vincent, I bet Christopher Lee, sorry, are both in this. Uh, Vincent Price never did a Hammer movie, unfortunately. But yeah, um, this is an Arrow release, so I'm willing to show, I'm excited to check this one out as well. Cool stuff. That's going to be in the Hammer year. Then we have some DVDs. Um, the Lost Continent, which is a Hammer one. I don't. This one actually is on the uh, list I will be doing. So The Lost Continent. Don't think there's ever a Blu-ray of this. But uh, I think this is the one where all those guys, they get stranded on an island and there's like crab monsters or monsters released. I don't know. It sounds fun. And then we have The Damned with my boy Oliver Reed. Um, this looks cool. There's a release here at Stateside. It's in a Hammer box set. But um, that set is out of print and very expensive. Icons of Suspense. But I wanted to check this out. It's pretty cheap overseas. So you can always import it if you got a region free. Then we have The Shadow of the Cat. This is another region free. This is also a Hammer movie. A lesser known one. But I decided to put it on the list to do. Black and white one. And then we have uh, an Italian import of The Abominable Snowman. Um, the um, Anchor Bay's out of print. Uh, this one from Pulp Video. Uh, it's pretty hard to find in states, but this has some features on here, and it's in English, and it's in widescreen. I think it's the same deal on here. Just This is the Italian version, and it was pretty cheap, so I had to get it. The Abominable Do Snowman. Then we have uh, this, uh, Hammer uh, Films Collection, uh, Volume 2, is it? Or this is Volume 1. And I grabbed this. Um, I have all these except Stop, Bef uh, what is it? Stop Me Before I Kill. But this is a bunch of movies on here. Uh, as you could tell, The Gorgon, Scream of Fear, uh, The Two Faces, Dr. Jekyll, and, and Curse of the Mummy's Tomb. But I grabbed it for Stop um, Me Before I Kill because that one, again, is an Icons of Suspense pack, suspense pack and it's very expensive. I don't think I'm doing Stop, before, Stop Me Before I Kill, but it's good to have the option if I have to. And then we have uh, the Hammer Collection 2. Um, and I believe Stop Me Before I Kill has an um, uh, indicator release, but I don't want to pay $50 for this set yet or something. This one has uh, Creatures, the World Forgotten, the Snorkel, which is why I grabbed this one. I don't think those are on the list either for this upcoming Hammer year, but uh, they're good to have as well. But it also has Maniac, Die, Die, My Darling, which I've covered both of those. The Revenge of Frankenstein and Never Take Candy from a Stranger, which I've also covered. So, yeah. Um, these hammer sets are pretty cheap. So if you're looking, uh, you don't want to make the big purchase on the hammer movies. Um, you want to just grab some hammer ones and check them out. Grab these sets. They're like 10 bucks. Get five movies. You can't beat that. So back to the video guys. Okay. This is going to be the next part. This will be new. Um, I want to name the Patreon shout outs. The people that donated to my Patreon, um, Skip Baber, uh, Baylor, thanks a lot, man. I really appreciate it. Um, I know you're a big supporter of independent movies as well, and you've donated to a lot of the stuff out there. Matt Brown, again, you always comment. You're always there to, um, you know, like interact and share the video. I really appreciate it, and I really appreciate being a Patreon, man. Um, Jonathan Wilhelm, again, one of the coolest guys out there. He just donated a Mandy Blu-ray that we gave away, that I gave away. So, again... Well, we gave away. He gave away. He donated to the show. But Jonathan Wilhelm, great guy. Awesome dude. Thanks again. 
And then we have like four, uh, or is it, yeah, uh, 22 Shots of Moots and Horror Podcast. Uh, I can't believe they donated. I love that show. It's one of my favorite shows. Uh, and they're a great podcast. You should check them out for sure. Always, uh, they're better than this. So just go listen to them. Forget this show. I don't, don't even, this show doesn't exist anymore. Go listen to them. But uh, I was like, well, what are they doing donating to me? I donate to them, but then just very happy. I was just kind of like, what? It's kind of weird when people, like, it's, just, it's, I feel weird about doing it, the Patreon thing. But, and then we have like three of my best friends, Keith Floyd Jr. Love that guy. Great guy. You guys know him. He's been on the show. Dustin Mills, you know, the director, one of my best friends again. Thank you very much. And Brandon Salkill, one of my best friends again, acted with Brandon a bunch of times, directed him. All those guys I love. And, uh, you know, I'll support them in anything they do ever. And uh, Dustin also has a Patreon where he creates stuff and shorts and does reviews and stuff for everybody out there and makes movies. So if you're interested, check that one out as well. But thank you very much, guys. I really appreciate it. But, um, yeah. Um, so that's the end of the show. Uh, thank you very much for watching. And as always, you guys have a good one. Eh! That's a sound you like, Nick. Thank you.